cool. <clears throat> hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second episode of No Off Days, which is the podcast that Lewis Zatzman and myself do after the game, the next day after we've written our pieces, after our second watch and all this kind of stuff to see if we can glean anything important happening. But before we go further, I'm told you're supposed to like and subscribe. And I'm also told that that helps. So please do so. Lewis, how the hell are you? Game two didn't go so well, but at least there were no injuries mounting. Is, is that something that's good too? Sure, yeah. I mean, the the lack of guys who were hurt, great, sure. Uh, I mean, Toronto clearly responded physically. They were They decided their adjustments were to hit Embiid before he hits you, to keep fouling every play and make them call it. Uh, maybe they should have adjusted tactically rather than trying to adjust physically, but, uh, who knows? Okay. So we're now two pieces into your post game write up, which is under the house of autopsies, let's say. And so in looking at the, for, you know, lack of a better term, the body that existed after the Raptors were done, what are the things that are going wrong? What is the cause of death? Well, I wrote about almost no basketball in the second one because uh, it just wasn't as interesting, but uh, they keep dying by overcompensation. James Harden is not killing them, and they are acting like James Harden is killing them. Um, I get that they have schemes and they have plans, and they Nick Nurse spent many years trying to defeat James Harden via schemes and it seems like he's pulling out all those packages but man maybe just play slightly normal defense so Tyrese Maxey can't get a running start every time he touches the ball like oh it's uh it's a lot man so I was really interested in this and this was the bulk of what my piece was about right in that middle area was kind of spelling out what is Tyrese Maxey doing and what is James Harden doing and if you invert the defensive principles you have for either of them you can kind of do something where you mitigate Tyrese Maxey's greatest strengths. And honestly, this isn't news. I mean, I talked about this in the preview. This was talked about everywhere is that Tyrese Maxey is really hard to deal with off ball. James Harden is lackadaisical off ball. He's not going to be that engaged. He won't attack a closeout and put the ball on the floor as rapidly as Tyrese Maxey's like cocaine fueled forays to the bucket. Or at all. He'll just hold it and stop and isolate. Exactly. So you you lose the advantage that's gained by maybe loading up on Embiid or something like that. And so what I did was I went and looked through a lot of the passes that Tyrese Maxey made. And a lot of the ones that turn into assists, there was only two in the half court where he was a primary creator. And one of them was just he funneled the ball to the strong side for a very heavily contested Danny Green three. And so, you know, when we're looking at a guy like Tyrese Maxey, if you want to invert those roles, you have to consider will this guy also take us apart as the primary? Will this guy make us pay for it the same way that James Harden has been if we load up? And the answer is probably no. I think you'll yeah. be able to funnel the ball out of his hands. Seven or sorry, six of his assists came either in transition or on second side action. The bulk of his points are coming that way. And if the Raptors are more help oriented, like when they have Precious Achua, you know, <laughs> when they had Precious Achua as the guy in pick and roll, along with Fred Van Vliet, it was a lot more difficult for Tyrese Maxey to get to the bucket. But Tyrese Maxey, for the bulk of this series, if he's had Fred or Gary on him, all he needs is a screen and it creates a paint touch. 
with a little bit more attention, I think you can curtail a lot of that away and move it onto James Harden's shoulders, which maybe sounds counterintuitive coming into the series, but this isn't 2017. You know, you make James Harden work for it. We talked about variance a lot after the first game, probably more than we should have in hindsight. I think Tobias Harris, Danny Green, if they're going to shoot 60% from deep, that's kind of a lost series. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, there are schemes and then there is over scheming. And if you are scheming to say, look, we can't have them shooting semi-contested threes. We got to get rid of that. You've lost anyway, right? You can't take that away. And so the Raptors kind of have to rely to some extent on variance bouncing their way. I think it's clear though, that Maxi is not variance. He's not going to miss layups unless you make them. He's what, 100% at the rim, I think, right now? Yes. I believe he hasn't missed at the rim yet this series. His floaters, I mean, from up to about the free throw line. Uh, shout out to Joe Wolfon for his incredible floater piece last season. Maxi being one of the key subjects there. Maxi's not going to miss unless you make him. That's not true for Harris. That's not true for Green. And they they really need to adapt to what's happening on the floor. And look, Nick Nurse has proven that he's an incredible adapter. And in many series that they've ended up winning, I know that some of those adaptations have only come maybe a game after a lot of plugged-in media wanted them to. Uh, the last Philadelphia series, I know I was screaming to tie Marcus All's minutes to Joel Embiid. That didn't happen until game like three, I think. You know, so Nick Nurse will make the adjustments, not as early as we want them to, but it's got to happen, right? Yeah. Also, shout out Minute Basketball, because when we did our floating piece. True. I'll cut this out. If the phone rings again. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, also, shout out Minute Basketball for the floating yeah. piece where... We wrote about Tyrese Maxey as well, however long ago. But it, it is interesting is when do the adjustments come and what does it look like when they do? Do they work the way that you want to? Because everybody had this idea of the Raptors playing this defense on Embiid and it working because we saw it work in the season series. And as you said, you brought up Tobias Harris. If Tobias Harris shoots 70%, and by the way, good for him for hitting his catch and shoot threes, but also he's getting, you know, the 76ers are able to get quite a bit of self-creation from him as well and efficient self-creation and the 76ers have had to make their bed and they've had to lie in their bed of paying Tobias Harris max contract money and this is the fruits of that labor is the you know you have the fans who are upset about it for years now but then you get a series where Tobias Harris is just way overmatched for whoever the fourth or fifth best defender on the floor is if he plays this way Tobias Harris, we've seen him in series before, most of them actually, where he's giving you less than you'd expected. Now he's giving you more, and the rappers aren't equipped. They can't scheme that away. That is just, yep. if Tobias does that, you lose. And as you yep. said, Tyrese Maxey, is the, that's the difference you make. As far as Embiid, do you have any thoughts on how they can change that up? Yes, that's something I wanted to ask you about. In my eyes, and I don't want to talk about the fouls. I know we're both no ref talk guys. Um, Fred and OG and Nick actually all after the game talked pretty explicitly about this is how we guarded them in the season and they're calling it even tighter now. That's not for us to discuss. 
uh, unless you want. But in my eyes, the Raptors are having their wills shattered by the whistle. They don't want to play defense on Embiid if they keep getting called for fouls. And I understand that. That's completely logical and, and human, but you're not going to win a basketball game that way. You know, it like they had their sails just cut out from under them. The mast toppled. I'm trying to make this metaphor <laughs> extend and fit. When, when they had those fouls called against Embiid, 12 free throws in the first quarter, they said, fine, we're just not going to defend them. That's that sucks, man. That sucks. Yeah, it is tough because obviously, you know, we, we talked about this is that there's this symbiotic nature of Joel Embiid's physicality and how that's tied to the whistle. <laughs> there's so there's this this symbiotic nature of Joel Embiid's physicality, the overwhelming presence of it, and how it's tied to the whistle because the yeah. players interact with Joel Embiid's physicality and they respond with their own as best they can. And mm-hmm. in addition to that, the whistle is what, you know, polices that interplay. And so the yeah. whistle seems like what you're trying to fight when really what you're trying to fight is Joel Embiid. And so yeah. the result has been that they foul quite a bit. I think you can quibble with some of the off-ball stuff, like on a cross screen or when he's trying to initiate. Yeah, with Malakut. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe maybe there's some calls there where you say what's going on it you know it compounds you get bonus all this kind of stuff and then other players like maxi and and harden are able to go fishing for whatever but for the most part this is a raptors team that it's not because the fouls that they're losing they're losing so many other aspects of the game yeah and once the games are closer once they kind of clean up their own end then i think we can start kind of being like okay Will the whistle create a significant amount of change or what's going to be the situation here? But there's just so many correctable things that they have to make sure that they cover on their own end before the whistle starts to change in this series, I think. Yeah, that's the thing. The whistle, exactly as you said, is a reaction. It's not an action. And when they miss rotations, when they uh, let Embiid get deep post position, their transition, transition defense is just, stinky that all means they foul like they're not just fouling when they're playing good defense they're fouling because they're playing bad defense and so sure game one i thought the free throws were totally under control they also happened to force misses from Embiid in game one game two he made everything and so the fouls mounted up that's th- those go hand in hand and so to guard Embiid better we talked about laying off Harden a little bit, asking him to isolate, making him slow down Philadelphia's attack. But what do you do for Embiid, man? Yeah, there's... So the Raptors had... He had four turnovers in this past game, which is a lot different than, I think, the zero he had in game one. And the bulk of them were on offensive fouls. And just two of them straight away were him driving on Chris Boucher. And Boucher, you know, Boucher got chopped in the... He got one in the dome. The head went back, and then Embiid was going into a step back, and he extended that arm, and they lost yep. that possession. But um, when we when we think about how they defend him and what kind of ushers in these mistakes on his end, it is attention, of course. But Embiid, with his fitness, with his willingness to kind of work more significantly than he did in the regular season to yep. punish these gaps, that is where 
We've seen it in the past, you know, against a significantly better Raptors team, a team that won the championship. Joel Embiid almost brought that team to heel. Kawhi yeah. Leonard, Kyle Lowry, you know, Siakam, Van Vliet, Gasol, Ibaka. That team, Embiid, like 2-1, and they needed everything from future Hall of Famer Kawhi Leonard. This is still Joel Embiid. He is patrolling the paint on defense, and he is applying such a force of physicality on the other end that, yeah, the Raptors have to foul. And how it gets officiated, up to the officials. And it's just, how do you stop that when you don't have anyone of a similar size? And then even, how do you stop that when you do have someone of a similar size because they don't possess his athletic gifts? So your answer is, stay the same. Keep fouling every possession and hope they just call it a little looser? I think... Now, if you could get so specific that you do it based on who's sharing the strong side with him, although, and like Joel Embiid deserves credit because his passing has actually been pretty awesome. Like some of those weak side swings, right, have been really good. And uh, the Raptors doubles haven't been able to force him into easy stuff. But the, the gapping, the way that the Raptors are zoning up has actually been quite bad. So there is... A, an attention to detail that the Raptors can bring to their defensive schemes as far as especially zoning up these actions when they want to double and bead. But also, you give more attention based on who shares the strong side and who shares the weak side. If it's Harden, I think you double. If Harden yeah. wants to be the guy who gets a quick catch and shoot and the ball goes up, make him a guy who has to make that read quick. If you yeah. want to do other types of things, that's what you go for. If Maxie's the one sharing it, if Maxie's like two passes away, if Maxie's in the weak side corner, you know, like these um, these things are something that you have to take into account. And even if you wanted to make it so that you're, um, do you mind uh, muting your mic? Sorry. Yeah. Here, let me. If as long as we're gonna pause this, just give me a momentary break. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pull them closer so I can. Okay. Sorry. This baby will okay. be chill now. I promise. <laughs> okay. Do you want to take that again from uh, Embiid? Yeah. Okay. Um, Wherever wherever you want. It's all the same to me. I'm just trying to think of where to edit. Where would it be? Okay. We've never needed editing before. This is new. Yeah. Well, I just know like when there's like in the background of podcasts, when there's like little, you know, like people are always like, what's going on? (laughs) Um, Okay. Where would I take this from? Okay. And then depending on who has the, or how they orient their own offense, the 76ers, I think you... You kind of adjust based on if it's Maxi or Harden on the strong side, if it's Maxi or Harden on the weak side. If it's Harden on the weak side, for example, you can load up a lot and you can make sure that that ball funnels and not even just loading up on Embiid, but loading up on 
the the strong side as well. Just shade hard there that if you're going to load up on Embiid, you know that there's going to be help if he passes out to Maxi and Maxi wants to go middle. Because let's say you doubled from the top down. There's help there. But maybe Harden is on the weak side, and that means that Harden, if he wants to punish this defense, he has to make a cut, like a basket cut or a 45 cut. Is Harden going to do that? I think that's what you make it. You try and make it so that these players, the things they like to do, you take those away. And currently the Raptors are allowing Embiid to make pretty good reads, although that's more so well done Embiid than it is the Raptors, you know, being bad. But also they're making things too easy on Harden as well. They're making Harden the, you know, they're making Harden the the curator, the conductor of what they're doing offensively. And they're leaning so hard and they're opening up gaps that shouldn't be open. So, yeah, all things considered, when you get Harden, Embiid, Maxi Harris, all these guys in the same place, it's just like, it's tough to deal with. And currently there's there's too much going on for the Raptors to actually contend with. Some things have to swing and that can be done somewhat through scheme. But that also has to be done through variation and the 76ers coming back down to earth, at least somewhat. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, we've talked a lot about Toronto's defense. Uh, would you change anything on the other side? Uh, honestly, probably not. I think that they're, for the most part, like I know Zarrar, uh, in the he gave Pascal a really low grade in the quick reaction yesterday. And, and I see that because I go to the quick reaction to see the top comment. And I also happen to see people are like, why Siakam get this low grade? And Zarrar also cited my video about Siakam. But I actually thought Siakam process wise did a pretty good job in that game. He was more aggressive and he did just he had some shots that touched every part of the rim. But yeah, we've always been results based for the most part. And I think that Siakam was getting to the spots on the floor that I want him to. And those spots will be less converged upon if Gary Trent Jr. has a presence at all in this series, if OG continues to be excellent like he has been. And Fred, Fred, the shot making, especially the catch and shoot stuff, it just wasn't there. But I was very happy to see some of the things that he was able to provide as far as getting downhill and early on, especially being able to bring Embiid out of the paint. That was important. And the Raptors even went so far as to they sent Siakam away instead of screening and said, bring Kem up because that brings them beat up and stuff like that. That's really important to the health of the Raptors offense throughout the series. The shot making wasn't there in this past one, but I I expect the load to get quite a bit easier. If Gary Trent Jr. comes back in a lot of like Fred playing the whole first half, not being able to take a break and then jacking up those shots kind of towards the end of the second quarter, commandeering the offense. That won't have to happen if you can just funnel some of those dribble handoff possessions towards Gary Trent and and let him cook for, you know, even just five or six possessions saves Fred a lot. And it, it makes the defense respond to different things. So as far as what they're trying to do offensively, game two, it felt like they did a really good job, especially in the first half. It started to tail off because they lost Gary Trent and you're getting nothing from him. And then the second half of that game, I really didn't know what to to make of it, right? Because they were down by 29. The way that the game was played, the intensity, the attention to detail was not emblematic of what we're going to see when game three starts. So like, what do you glean from that? Not much, honestly. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what the Raptors could really use is a guard who just attacks the rim every time. When like when Embiid got taken out of the paint on a switch guarding Fred, it would have been nice for Fred to be able to get off the ball quick and have another guy just hit the rim. Like Maxi would look so good right now in not only breaking the Raptors defense, but he'd do the same to the Sixers defense. And that's where Scotty just like they miss what he does. No one else can do that. Nick Nurse oh. talked before the the game about how they needed a bunch of guys to sort of simulate, and they just they didn't do, they didn't give what he gives. Mm-hmm. And and OG does to some degree. I think like OG deserves credit. I'm uh, this will be in the breakdown I do, so I'm kind of just you know. But anyway, like the Raptors run this action for Fred, OG, and Precious, the three man, and the ball ends up in OG's hands. Precious and Fred float to try and do something off ball. Joel Embiid floats over there because he's like, okay, we have to guard this action. OG correctly identifies that he's guarded by George Niang. He sees that Harden is the low man at the rim, and he takes it right to the bucket. Just like that kind of stuff is really well done by OG, but it's not being replicated by anybody besides Pascal and OG. Yeah. Precious. Precious, yeah, Precious. Precious, I guess, four times in the series so far. You know, putting the ball on the ground. Like, that's a really strong move for Precious, by the way, especially, you know, catch, pump, two dribbles, attack the rim. He, he's really fluid like that. Once yeah. he starts once he starts to add more dribbles, I don't have that many qualms with it, but I'm also very pro-Precious. And, uh, but yeah, it's, they're, they're certainly limited. When the ball, when they gain that advantage and it shoots out, it's like either make a three or... Or, you know, nothing like they just they yeah. won't bludgeon the weak side cutting in. It's it's tough. So uh, I asked you this last time. We stuck with wraps and six because we're stubborn and because we hoped that wraps and seven, by the way. Healthy. Yeah, we stuck with wraps. Uh, so. Sixers and four, what do you say now? I'll go Sixers in seven. <laughs> I, you know, I'll let the one game swing. I really don't want to change my, I really don't want to change it until we see what happens in game three. Uh, truly, yeah. honestly, because we've seen this team and not exactly this team, but we've seen teams come back from 2-0 down all the time. And it doesn't always result in a win, but it results in a longer series. And I think the Raptors certainly are capable of giving this thing a longer run. As long as the, but I I laid this out in my piece. It was like, okay, so either the 76ers are just an absolute buzzsaw and they are an immense threat for the title. Like the way they're playing, what they're getting from their tertiary players that means that how how would anybody guard this team? It's not even yeah. that the Raptors are limited and and small. Embiid will bully and abuse anybody on that block. Oh, if yeah, Tobias Harris it doesn't matter. Yeah, if Tobias Harris is giving you 70%, if Tyrese Maxey is giving you 85% true shooting on 30 points per game, good luck to anybody. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton on the other side of things, whoever. It, it, the Raptors might be caught in a buzzsaw. Now, it could also be that variation swings. Once the shots start going, 
errors don't compound as much and we know how much variation and like a really good shooting game can change the constitution of defensive schemes once it comes back down to earth maybe some of that former punch that the raptors defense has had is more punchy when they don't have to worry about maxi and harris shooting the leather off the ball who's to say but i think that there's a few more games in this series than four if uh if that sounds cowardly on my end i don't know no, I, I, I'm. We're saying the same thing, and we said the same thing after game one too. Like maybe it's not variance. There's certainly some things to clean up. We went through a lot of the possibilities, but by and large, Toronto needs to get Philly to miss, and they can't do much to get some of the like Danny Green, Tobias Harris, George Niang, Shake Milton. Their shots aren't changing. They're going to get the same shots. They go in, that's the series. And there, there's nothing we can discuss. There's nothing the Raptors can change. That that just happens or it doesn't. And we, it's happened twice for the for the Sixers. Maybe it doesn't in game three. That's all we can say. Maybe. That's all we can say. And that's all we will say. Uh, that feels like the end of no off days. Game two. How does that feel, Lewis? That feels good, man. Well, it feels painful and broken and horrific but it feels good man <laughs> painful broken and horrific uh before you get out of here listener if you, well or watcher if you're on youtube make sure to like and uh subscribe if you haven't already i just uh have to <laughs> have to remind you of that so anyway uh lewis we're gonna get out of here listener thanks for tuning in uh yeah we'll see ya okay